0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Pierre Cloutier de Repentigny and Ty Jacob. Usually, the phrase access to justice gets used as a way to talk about access to the legal system. When today's guests use that term, certainly their meaning encompasses access to the legal system, but they take the word justice very seriously in that phrase, and they mean it much more broadly and aspirationally. For them, access to justice is about moving towards justice in a substantive sense, about redistribution, about dismantling unjust hierarchies, about replacing oppressive institutions with new ways of relating with one another, about building a world that allows all of us to thrive. Pierre Cloutier de Repentigny is a lawyer, though he no longer practices. He's just about done a PhD in law at the University of Ottawa, and will soon be starting as an assistant professor of law and legal studies at Carleton University. He's also the co-chair of the board of an organization called Justice Trans, an organization dedicated to ensuring access to justice for trans, non-binary, and two-spirit people in the Canadian context. Ty Jacob is a scholar, a community organizer, and a public educator, as well as the project manager and head of research at Justice Trans. The barriers that trans people face when it comes to access to justice are many and high. In the broader sense, they face many forms of discrimination and exclusion in many different settings, in ways that are heightened at all of the intersections with white supremacy, settler colonialism, sexism, ableism, capitalism, and all the rest. In narrower terms, there are also plenty of barriers to trans people specifically related to the legal system. There are lots of details, but much of it boils down to instances of active mistreatment in and by the system, and to a system that just hasn't been built for trans people. As well, lawyers are expensive, and trans people experience disproportionate poverty. The original vision for Justice Trans by its founder, Ben Vanderpey, a two-spirit Inuk, was as an app that would provide trans people with legal information in an easily accessible way. Today, using their website as a clearinghouse for legal information relevant to the lives of trans people in jurisdictions across Canada remains a core element of the work that Justice Trans does. Another aspect of the organization's work is advocacy related to law and policy reform. So far, this has mostly been in response to things proposed by various governments. For instance, when the Liberal government was adding gender identity to the Federal Human Rights Act in 2017, Justice Trans organized a campaign advocating for passage of the legislation. At the moment, Justice Trans is focused on building capacity to allow them to be more proactive in their work on a number of fronts. On the advocacy side, they want to move from reacting to governments to a greater scope to push for reforms based on trans community needs that are not yet on the mainstream radar. On the information side, part of what they want to do is take their existing resources and develop trainings and workshops. Some of those would be targeted at trans people to give them tools to navigate the legal system, but they also want to develop workshops for non-trans people who work in the legal system in hopes of reducing the kinds of hostility, ignorance, and inappropriate treatment that trans people sometimes face. In order to inform all of this, they're in the early stages of a major new research project being spearheaded by Jacob. Over the summer of 2021, they'll be doing interviews with trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and two-spirit people across Canada about their access to justice needs and what barriers they face. Moving forward, they're keenly aware of what Cloutier de Repentigny describes as, quote, a wave of anti-trans sentiment that has trickled down into law and government policy, end quote, in the U.S. and the U.K. He continued, quote, While it hasn't happened here, I think it would be foolish to think that we're completely shielded against this type of thing, end quote and they'll be keeping a close eye on governments across Canada, just in case. I speak with Cloutier de Repentigny and Jacob about access to justice and about the work of Justice Trans.
1: My name is Pierre Cloutier de Repentigny. I'm a lawyer, but no longer practicing. Um, At the very end of my PhD in law at the University of Ottawa, and will soon start a position as an assistant professor at Carleton University, the Department of Law and Legal Studies. I am gender non-binary, I use any pronouns, and I've been working with Justice Trans first as regular board member from 2016 until now, and from September 2019, I've been the co-chair. And Justice Trans is basically an NGO that's dedicated to promoting and ensuring access to justice for trans people and non-binary folks and two-spirit people throughout Canada.
2: I'm Ty Jacob. I use they, them pronouns. I'm the project manager and head of research at Justice Trans. I am a scholar and community organizer, and I'm also a public educator, and I write every so often as well.
0: Tell me a bit more about your respective individual trajectories with the law and with grassroots politics
1: law was not something I was ever contemplating doing, but I did very well in college. (laughs) And that's often a path that's suggested to those of us who do well, but don't know where to go. And when I got my acceptance with a scholarship, it's probably the first time that it was something that was in my wheelhouse, so to speak. And then in law school, I half disliked it a lot. (laughs) It is a lot of work and Especially at first, I don't think I saw it align with my value, which is a lot more on the social justice, especially in terms of environmental justice. But then it did start happening with meeting people, start to see possibility that were outside the kind of typical corporate law or the usual practice that you can see uh, people working in, in the legal world. It was also quite clear that I was more on the academic side, so that was something I would continue to do more in terms of research. So I did pursue my master at UBC in environmental law, but at the same time started the practice of law after clerking for the federal court, which gave me a lot of experience at first immigration and refugee law. So that was kind of my first approach to it when I started practicing mostly part-time. And a lot of that was here and trans refugee. And then also from word of mouth, it started to veer a lot more with just trans specific legal needs that were outside the refugee migration. So a lot of name change and gender marker change, human rights complaints, dealing with employment and landlords and tenant issue, that kind of stuff. And most of it was pro bono because most people just did not have the resources or an understanding of the legal system to navigate these very complex and very difficult issues that have significant impact on people's lives. So when I decided to do my PhD, which is an environmental law, so not necessarily directly related to that side of my work, I still wanted to stay involved. But I knew that practicing law was outside of the question because PhD in of itself is just too demanding to continue to do direct legal work. And that's basically when I approached Justice Trans to start helping
2: Me getting into grassroots political activism and advocacy and law starts when I was in undergrad at McMaster in Hamilton, and a bunch of stuff led me to come out as non-binary. And in reading about other people that were non-binary and trans, realizing that my whole life I had been taught that there was this administrative system of gender that was binary and that I had to adhere to. And reading people who had been critical of that system of binary gender made me realize that. There was a bunch of systems that I should be critical of. Like, it didn't have to stop at gender. There was systems of white supremacy, even systems of citizenship that exist in Canada, systems of colonialism that I should be critical of. And so it flowered into, like, a critique of a whole bunch of systems that don't need to look the way that they are, and systems that we can change in order to, like, live in a world that we actually want to live in. I got really, really involved with a bunch of different trans communities and activists And then I also did my honors thesis at McMaster on a case where a trans woman was barred from using a washroom at a Hamilton public transit bus station. A complaint was brought to the Human Rights Tribunal, and the outcome of that was that the city of Hamilton had to develop a policy for trans and gender-unconforming persons. So I wrote my thesis on that policy and the ways that it was contributing to gentrification in the city, asking questions of how can we create trans-inclusive policies that are for all trans people, not just wealthy trans people that are seen as like a creative elite. From there, I went on to do my master's and I did research with trans and gender non-conforming refugees in Toronto. And outside of my academic work, I've also worked as a trans activist and then also doing a lot of work in Palestinian solidarity as a Jewish activist and also looking to like wealth and resource redistribution. And all of my work in academia and grassroots activism brought me to start considering what could my life look like as a lawyer. I applied to law school and I got into law school, but then I also applied to work with Justice Trans and ultimately chose this job with Justice Trans instead of going to law school in the fall. Ultimately, my reflections made me feel like the best way that I, at this moment, can as a trans person work in the trans community to exact trans and queer liberation would be not as a lawyer, but as a researcher and as a community researcher, as someone who's researching with the trans community.
0: What are the origins of Justice Trans?
1: The founder of the organization is named Ben Van Dorpe, who is a Two Spirit Inuk. When Ben was in law school. He took a class on access to justice and had to do a project that related to technology to facilitate access to justice. And this had the idea of doing the project on creating an app that would facilitate access to justice by providing legal information for the trans community in Canada. And apparently did, in terms of grade, not so good and had the comment that was not feasible but Ben, being who he is, was just more motivated to do it. And then alone, decided to push through and actually would never have been built an app, never ever done any of these types of work, did all the work to create the app, to incorporate just the strands, to gather the first two other board members that founded the organization. And then from that point, just plow ahead with a bunch of people who donated their time, basically, into gathering the information and creating this project.
0: The idea of access to justice seems pretty central to the organization's work. What does that phrase mean?
1: That is the billion dollars question, because it's one of those terms that can have multiple meaning and that can be very broad. A lot of people who work traditionally in access to justice tend to describe it as something that I would qualify more as access to the legal system more than access to justice. I've taken the term justice very seriously in the concept, meaning that you're not just trying to access the system and the laws that exist right now, but you're trying to improve access to justice as this kind of aspirational goal of eliminating injustice. So in other words, to have access to the kind of life that you would find desirable and just. So of course, part of this is largely legal, the law is present everywhere, especially as someone who's a legal academic, like basically everything we do all the time and interact with always has some sort of legal relations hidden somewhere. And of course, the law can also be a very powerful tool of change. So it's still quite a big aspect, but I try also that we do not limit ourselves to what exists right now and to try to imagine ways to advocate for change and to provide information to help people to move towards change that are a little bit more substantive and would be considered outside of traditional access to justice type work, such as economic redistribution, which would not necessarily mean something that's typically thought of access to justice. To summarize, access to justice is really moving toward justice. You have a goal and it's trying to build a tool so that people are able to achieve this potentially utopic state and maybe never completely achievable in society. But at least you're doing your best effort to move towards it.
2: The goal of the way that we think of access to justice at Justice Trans is how do we build the world that we want to live in? There's the obvious side of access to justice, which is like access to the legal system. But then there's the larger piece that Pierre also spoke to, which is working towards this broader sense of social justice, that broader sense of social justice, incorporating economic redistribution, incorporating how do we build relations with each other within our communities so that we are living in a society where we treat each other well and where we can solve problems and where when injustice has been done, we understand what accountability looks like. And part of that also at Justice Trans is understanding justice from an abolitionist framework, where the desire is not to put, quote unquote, bad people into prison. It's to eliminate this idea that doing harm should be punished and rather to look at what are the roots of harm in our society and how can we change the ways that we live together so that we can actually root out harm. The root of prisons and the use of prisons has often been to police black and brown people and to keep the status quo as it is so that people that are marginalized don't have access to justice in the end, actually.
0: What are the key obstacles standing in the way of trans people in particular having access to justice as your organization understands it?
1: The biggest barriers are the systemic barriers. The system is just not built for trans people. Part of the research we're doing right now is to figure in much more detail the exact issue that prevents access to justice. But from what we understand right now, one of the biggest problems is trust. There's a break of trust between many trans people and state institutions in general, but particularly in this case, legal institutions. Just not trusting that the results would be positive or that the problem you're facing would be resolved in any way by the legal system. Then after that, there's also a lack of understanding. So a lot of the access to justice research in general, so that's not just for trans people, is the lack of understanding that some of our problems also have a legal solution or are also legal problems. Some areas are well understood. Obviously, criminal law is very obvious, but also family law, these types of things, have in the mind of people already a very big legal component. So if you face a problem in that area, you will seek lawyer or at least seek some sort of legal information to give you the tool to navigate this problem versus like landlord and tenant issues. A lot of people tend to imagine those as just more bilateral relationship between you and your landlord when there's a whole legal system and administrative tribunals are built to deal with these problems. And that a lot of problems that trans people deal with on a regular basis, thinking that there's nothing else to do but to just suffer those problems, actually have a potential solution. And the third biggest one I would say is the economic inequality that's just created by the general discrimination that trans people face. The poverty level of trans people is much below the general poverty average in Canada, which compounds all sorts of difficulty into accessing information, accessing lawyer, being able to pay, to have the resources and the time and the energy even to deal with
2: legal issues and on top of that those systemic barriers that exist to accessing justice so the ways that systems of oppression like racism settler colonialism trans-antagonism ableism etc impact marginalized people's experiences with the justice system a system that is supposed to be neutral but often isn't often over people that are parts of black and brown communities, queer and trans communities, disabled communities. So if you're looking at a system that over-criminalizes these populations and then you go to people that are parts of these communities and you're like, what is your access to justice? Often people don't even, like Pierre was saying, trust these systems to resolve their issues and don't even look into how their issues might be a part of this system. There's also just the issue of the system itself. Does the system result in fair outcomes? And then on top of that, we talk about symbolic access to justice, which is where people feel like they're recognized by the system. And so if the system makes people feel like they've been over and on top of that, actually over-criminalizes them, people aren't going to feel like they're recognized by the system or going to be able to achieve fair outcomes out of it.
1: The specific gender identity of trans people, so basically having a gender identity that's outside of the typical
2: system, normativity
1: of society makes it that you're already, in a sense, taking a gamble that you'll be treated with dignity by the system, just on that very base level. Like, will your name be recognized? Will they use your pronoun? Even if it's not the same as your official legal document, that's already an issue that can create difficulty and creates this sense of mistrust. Because if you're there to deal with a sensitive issue and they're not even certain that the lawyer will get, will treat you right, then the judge, and then the opposite counsel, then the pressure and the dehumanizing aspect of that becomes very prevalent, and then it's quite understandable to think that after that, when someone sees that happening in the media live, they're a trans person, they're like, oh, why would I want to put myself through this? I'll just try to figure it another way.
0: What is Justice Trans doing to work towards access to justice for trans people in Canada?
1: We've tried to divide our activities into two or three one of them is just general advocacy, so trying to inform lawmaker and push decision-maker into making decisions that are best favorable for trans people, or at least take into account their perspective and lives of trans people. So, for example, one of the big ones that happened while we existed was Bill C-16.
2: Uh,
0: that was the legislation that added gender identity to the Federal Human Rights Act.
1: We did a big campaign to try to reach senator. So that's one aspect. And right now we're trying to build the capacity of the organization to, instead of being reactive, to start maybe be proactive. So identify the issue that exists right now that are not necessarily in the public eye or in the viewpoint of the government, like not necessarily important right now, but try to push them to make these issues important so that change may happen proactively. The other aspect is information, education, and research. At first, Justice Trans was kind of an information platform, and that is something that's just continuous because the law evolves constantly, and it also takes a lot of time to keep everything updated, and there's always more to add even that we haven't considered because there's so many aspects of access to justice to include in the legal information. And then we're also trying to move towards something that's a little bit more pedagogically interesting, so workshop trying different mediums so that people better understand the law and the impact of the law on their lives. And then maybe also having this what we call trans competency training for non-trans actors of the legal system so that they can at least be a lot more cognizant of those issues so that when they have trans clients or trans justice seekers are able to deal with it appropriately. And in the more research side, which is better understanding these issues, which feeds basically into the programming and even into the advocacy, because there's some research that have been done, but there's a lack of research of understanding exactly the situation of trans people and the impact of the legal system on them.
2: The research arm of Justice Trans is where the majority of my work at the organization goes. So right now we're working on a year-long research project where we'll do consultations with trans and non-binary, gender-unconforming, two-spirit people across Canada about their access to justice needs and what barriers they experience in accessing justice, so that we can have a really robust understanding as an organization of what those needs are, so that we can develop programming and advocacy frameworks that can really address those. And then also, so we have access to this research that can be used by other organizations and policymakers in Canada.
1: Which we have to thank Women and Gender Equality Canada for funding this project.
0: What's the focus of the advocacy side of the work right now?
1: Right now, we've taken a pause on this because out of the current research project we're doing, we're going to build a strategic plan. So that will both deal with programming and advocacy. So with that, we'll have a much better idea. One thing I'll say outright that there's been a wave both in the UK, uh, in the US, to some extent here, but not as much yet, of anti-trans sentiment that has trickled down into law and government policy. And while it hasn't happened here, I think it would be foolish to think that we're completely shielded against this type of thing. So that's, I think, something that we should keep in mind and especially with certain governments that don't care, let's say, as much for for trans issue as other uh, may be tempted to make change that on the surface might not look immediately anti-trans, but would have a particularly negative effect on trans population. And otherwise, I think there's also a big move into trying to figure out what's the best way for consent for minors.
0: Uh, Meaning consent for medical procedures.
1: That's a question that has come back through the course already quite a couple of times, as if there was a difference in capacity to consent to medical treatment that was different for trans minor than for non-trans minor. So far, it doesn't seem to have been the case, but work can be done there to ensure that it stays that way, that there shouldn't be a distinction between different types of medical procedure based on your gender identity. Your capacity to consent is unrelated to your gender, basically.
0: What would you say to people who are listening, both trans people and non-trans people, about how they can support the work of your organization and how they can support the broader struggle for access to justice for trans people?
1: One of the things that we'll be having soon is a membership and outreach program. So people will be able to be directly involved in the organization through the membership system, which for trans people will not cost anything unless they are willing to donate but the goal is participation and for non-trans people will cost a donation, which in and of itself is helpful, but then they'll be able to be kept appraised of what we're doing much more than just what our communication team is doing. Right now, one thing that would be very helpful is if you are trans, gender non-conforming, two-spirit, or if you know people who are for the summer during the consultation, we'll basically need a lot of participants that will be willing to share their experience with access to justice. You don't need to have direct experience with the legal system to have relevant things to say. I think basically anyone who is transgender and uncomfortable or true spirit would be welcome. And then in the more general sense, I think for people who are not trans, education is very important. There's a lot of resources by queer and trans groups that explain basic issue that relates to gender identity. And just being informed about those things can just already help a lot. Otherwise, it's to do what you can to participate in broader justice movements. Some are very trans specific some not like decolonial movements, Black Lives Matter movement, all of these things just participate
2: in civil society and demanding justice and not accepting the status quo as it is. You can also... Like us on Facebook or Instagram, and that's the best way to stay updated on what we're doing. Become a member when the membership system is launched. Potentially take part in consultations when we start doing the research collection phase this summer. If you're a legal professional, especially reading articles about trans competent lawyering and just like basic stuff like helping trans people get access to healthcare, that's a legal issue. Referring to trans people by the pronouns that they ask you to refer to them by, like using people's requested names. These are all legal issues. These are all about access to justice, and they're things that you can do in your day-to-day life. I also like what Pierre said about supporting broader justice movements, like 1492 Land Back Lane, Black Lives Matter, all these racial and anti-colonial justice issues, because there are trans and two-spirit indigenous people. There are trans black people there are trans people in whatever social justice movement you can think of. And so supporting these broad range of social justice movements are also about supporting trans people's access to justice.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Pierre Cloutier de Repentigny and Ty Jacob of Justice Trans. To learn more about the organization, go to justicetrans.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.